Well, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. My name is uh, David. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, for those that are curious, uh, that is Adam Morrill and his wife that was in that video. He's our pastor at uh, one of the pastors at the campus. Uh, and I can assure you that he does actually rock climb, uh, but I can also assure you that he doesn't post about it like that because the man doesn't know what hashtags are. Um, he's, he's younger than I am, but I've met 60-year-olds who are better with technology and Instagram. So um, that's Adam for you. They haven't asked me uh, to do any of those videos, and I'm telling myself that means because I'm just too real and authentic. Um, <laughs> Because the only other reason I can think of is that it means I have a face for radio. Um, so that's, that's what I'm going to believe for myself. Um, thanks for joining us today. We're in a series called uh, Be Real, looking at the book of James. And uh, really, it's got some really real uh, advice for us uh, as we face things like relationships and decisions and trials and temptations and all kinds of stuff that we deal with in everyday real life. James gives us a lot of really helpful advice in that. I think sometimes we, <clears throat> we can be tempted to try and make things look pretty, but James would rather deal with reality. And so that's what we're trying to do in this series. And last week we talked about the reality of, of suffering and, and trials. As much as we might try to hide from them or ignore them or pretend like they're not a thing, the reality is that there's sometimes some difficult things that enter our lives that we sometimes don't want to deal with. Like even if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you probably know that life can just be hard sometimes. And we looked at James and the advice he gives us for how to deal with those trials and those sufferings and that really God can use them for our good. Well, today we're going to be tackling another one of those uh, things that is a reality of life that we kind of wish we could avoid. Like if we could get an Instagram filter for life, um, this probably would have been edited out a long time ago. Today we're going to be talking about temptation talking about the reality that each one of us every single day face temptation. We can't really avoid it as much as we might want to or might try or might pretend like it's not that big of a deal. Whether it's something small like the person who brings some donuts to work when you're trying not to cheat on your diet, uh, to something greater like that inner uh, desire to just lash out on someone in anger when they've hurt us or wronged us or annoyed us, we all face temptation every single day. But the good news this morning is while maybe we can't avoid temptation, there is always a better way out. There is always a better option. You see, Jesus actually uh, says that there is a way to find freedom, to find uh, a good life. There's always a better option. And so my, uh, my goal this morning to, is to help you not only understand temptation, but really better than that, understand how you can overcome temptation and walk in the freedom that Jesus died to give you. So let's dive into our text in James, and he's going to give us three truths about temptation that are going to help us in our fight with sin. And so we'll be in James chapter 1. If you don't have a, a Bible, we'd love to give you one at our Welcome Center. Either way, it'll be on the, the screen here behind me. But James chapter 1, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And so first, James is going to tell us that temptation is a reality that I can't escape. Notice that he says, when you are tempted, not if you are tempted. You see, James isn't uh, some like theological guru living in a tower separated from reality. He knows what it's like to be a sinner living in a sin-stained world where temptation hits you left and right. It is a reality that I can't escape. I've got to learn how to deal with it. And so that means that I can't really make the goal of my life to avoid all temptation. But I think 
Sometimes that's what we try to do. Out of a really great desire to to be more like Jesus, to avoid sin, I think sometimes we can kind of make that our goal. We avoid contact with anyone we deem sinful. We try to avoid all kinds of uh, sinful things. Anything that looks worldly, we'll just try and avoid it totally. But if temptation is a reality that I can't escape, that's maybe a little bit misguided and maybe not all that helpful. Now, don't misunderstand me. There's a great wisdom in avoiding unnecessary temptation. Uh, In fact, one of the things I I plead with people most is to remove things from their life that are uh, bringing about a level of temptation that's just not necessary and not helpful. Hebrews 12 talks about, it encourages us to lay aside the sin and also the weight that can entangle us as we're trying to run after Jesus. There's things when you're running that you just want to get rid of that are just unnecessary. Maybe they're helpful in other circumstances, but when you're trying to run, you don't need a helmet. It's a bunch of weight that you don't need, right? Same is true in our walk with Jesus. There might be some unnecessary things in our life that we need to remove. If you're working to be sexually pure, it would be unhelpful to be alone with access to the internet that's unfiltered, if you're, uh, or to be alone with your boyfriend or girlfriend often. If you're working to get out of debt and make better financial decisions, it'd be really unhelpful to go and sign up for a bunch of credit cards, right? If you're working to stop gossiping and speaking uh, poorly of others or not being consumed with self-image or comparison, it'd be really unhelpful to spend hours of your day on social media, right? Like, that would just be unnecessary temptation. Sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot. Well, James is telling us here where temptation does not come from, here in verse 13. Sometimes we want to blame God, right? But James says, not only does God not, uh, is not tempted with evil, but he doesn't tempt anyone else. So, so where does our temptation actually come from? He's going to go on in the next verse to tell us that in verse 14. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So James says that the temptations really come from within, from our own desire. And I think that really changes everything about how we avoid temptation or the reality of temptation because it tells us that our greatest problem really isn't in the world out there, but right here in my own heart. It's my own desires that drag me away. I think sometimes we can be deceived into thinking that uh, our family or our upbringing or our job or our house or our kids or our whatever it might be is there what is there is that what leads us astray but often it's actually our own desires that entice us and drag us away. And that really thinks uh, changes how we think about avoiding temptation, right? Cuz if temptation comes from within, then I can't escape it by like being a monk and like trying to get away from all people. I can't escape it by trying to live in some Christian bubble. I can't protect my kids from all temptation by sending them to Christian school or homeschooling them. I've got to learn how to deal with the reality of temptation, help my kids do that as well, because it is our own desires that entice us and drag us away. Growing up in church, I had some friends whose whose parents really tried to protect them from all sources of evil, all sources of temptation. Out of a really noble and great desire to help their kids become all that they could be, um, they, in my opinion, maybe over-sheltered them. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. And what, what, I, what, I, hap- what I noticed is that um, several of them, after they left the home, after they graduated and, and went on to be uh, their own person as they became an adult, multiple of, of them walked away from God 
and multiple of them um, went into a time of some, pure, some serious rebellion because they'd never really been taught how to deal with temptation. They'd really just been told to avoid it for most of their lives. It's not about avoiding all temptation because it comes from within. We need to learn how to handle that. So how do we do that? Like, how do we actually handle temptation when it comes our way? Well, in these verses, James gives us uh, a process of temptation. And in giving that to us, he really gives us some hope for how we can stop the process of temptation before it gets to sin. He gives us hope in the fight. And so that second truth that he gives us is that temptation is a process I can stop. He tells us where temptation is going to lead us in the end, and in that, he gives us hope that we can choose to not go that direction. We can actually choose to go somewhere else. I think sometimes we think that we're powerless in temptation, but James is saying that this is a process that has several steps, and each one of those steps is really an off-ramp. It's an opportunity for an off-ramp. It's an opportunity to say no. It's an opportunity to say, no, I, I don't want that. I actually want the goodness that God has for me. I don't want to be deceived. We sometimes talk about sin and temptation like we're powerless, like we can't stand in the face of temptation, like there's no way that we could possibly fight it. But the good news for us today is that we are not powerless because Jesus rose from the dead and he conquered sin and death. And when he did that, he actually gave power to any who follow him that you can do the same. You actually can say, no, you don't have to go there. Here's how the author of Hebrews talks about it in chapter 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. See, Jesus broke that power of sin and death over you if you are a follower of Jesus. Yes, we were living in the fear of death. We were under the power of sin and death, but Jesus rose from the dead and he broke that power over you. Sin does not have to have power over you anymore. Church, you are not a victim. You are not a captive. You are not defined by your besetting sins, by your besetting temptations. You are not defined by your yesterday. You're not defined by how you gave into temptation this morning. You are not a victim. If you would lean into what Jesus has for you, you actually have the ability to say no to sin and to the death that it brings and yes to the life that God has for you. And so I want to break down that process of temptation so that we know how we can fight. James says that there's really four steps or four stages in the process of temptation. And the first one is desire. First, James says that temptation comes from our own desires. And these can be good or bad desires. I know our translation says evil desires, but the word actually there just means a really, really strong desire. It's a a craving or a lust or, and often we go unhelpful directions with that desire. And I think that's why our translators put it that way. And so at this point in the process, we want something. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. It could be anything from a desire to be loved, a desire to eat, a desire to have fun. Maybe it could be some sort of evil desire want what someone else has to hurt someone who's wronged us. And I want to clarify that at this point in the process, we have not sinned. A desire in and of itself is not sin. Let's look at step number two. It's deception. Secondly, James says that we are enticed and dragged away. This is where temptation tells us that we can get that thing that we want that is sinful, or we can get that thing that we want that's not sinful, but get it in a sinful way. 
That's where the devil wants to deceive us. We can take what doesn't belong to us. We can do something immoral to be loved or to have fun. We can blow up on the person who has wronged us. Satan is really the father of lies, and what he was going to tell you is that that sin is going to give to you that desire. He knows how to tempt us to think that it's going to give us what we want, and I want to again clarify here that at this point, we still have not sinned. We want something. Satan has told us that we can get it by doing that thing that we shouldn't do, but at this point in the process, we still haven't sinned. Oftentimes, we're just an opportunity away from it. Let's look at step number three, and that's disobedience. James says that our desire gives birth to sinful actions. And this is where we actually cross that line. This is where we uh, take the bait and we try to get what we want by sinning. And church, here's the good news for us this morning. Sin doesn't happen till step number three. So that means that step number one and step number two, we have an opportunity to say no. We have an opportunity to take that off ramp and go in a different direction. We have the ability to say no, before it go, leads us towards that which is ultimately going to hurt us. And that's where James goes next. The last step in the process is death. He says that when sin is full grown, it brings death. Maybe it will take some time for that sin to grow, but when it does, it will bring about death and destruction. And sin always promises to give us life, right? That's the, really the lie of temptation is that it's going to give to us what we want but sin's never able to deliver. Here's how Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And Paul is talking about really the, the spiritual and even actually the physical death that is a result of sin. Do you realize that before sin, death was totally foreign to this world? Death wasn't a thing. Death is not natural for God's good creation. Sin is what brought about that death. And today, every time you and I choose sin, we are choosing that which ultimately, in the end, leads to death and destruction. But we tend to think that we're the exception, that we're somehow going to get away with it, or that it'll somehow be different for us in the end. Maybe we don't see the results right away, but sin always takes more than it gives. And so that is the process of temptation. Now, all those steps can happen in about a second, and we don't necessarily realize when it's happening, but James kind of breaks it down for us so that we can see what's happening when we are being tempted, and we actually can, can learn how to say no, and we can learn how to run from it. He helps us see where temptation can lead us if we are not careful. And so what James is really helping us see here is that temptation isn't what determines the outcome. It's our response to that temptation. You see, what you go through does not determine who you become. How you respond to what you go through is what determines who you become. I think sometimes we're tempted to think that uh, we're just a product of our family and our upbringing and our finances and where we live and all those things. But James is saying, no, 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 you actually do have a choice. You have a decision. You're able to to say no. But here's what I think happens to us so often. We let guilt and shame keep us from taking those off-ramps. We feel ashamed for wanting what we want, and we don't want to admit that to God, we don't want to admit that to others, and so we just keep going back to that sin time and time again, hoping that this time it'll somehow be different. 
We feel guilty for how we have failed in the past. And so we think, you know what? I'm already a loser. I've already gone there. I might as well just do it again. We start to define ourselves as an alcoholic or a liar or an adulterer or whatever that sin might be for you. We start to define ourselves as those things instead of as a forgiven child of God. We start to think that those things are what define us, but really Jesus has said that they don't have to define us anymore. He doesn't want us to walk in guilt and shame. He wants us to walk in freedom. And here's really what James is giving to us in this uh, laying out this process of temptation. I think he's really giving us God's GPS for how to navigate temptation. Uh, For some of you in here, you don't remember a world where you weren't carrying around a walking computer, right? Um, But there was a time where you actually had to go and like get a printed out map if you wanted to go somewhere and not get lost. Um, I remember those days because my family was too cheap to buy a GPS. They existed when I was a kid, but we were far too cheap for that. Um, So I remember the days of like going to mapquest.com and then printing out those directions. You guys remember that? It was a good time, right? Um, And the best part about it was when you missed a turn and you had to like go back because it's not like that paper is going to be like rerouting. Like that'd be nice, but it didn't work that way, right? (laughs) This is really what James is giving us in this. He's giving us God's GPS for how to handle temptation. He's saying, don't go that way. That's going to lead you to somewhere you don't want to go. Yeah, the road might look okay right now, but look at where it's leading. Look at where it ends. And so that's the way we don't want to go. What do we do when we face temptation? He tells us in the next verse, in verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. James is saying, don't be misled. Don't be deceived into thinking that sin is going to lead you anywhere good. Anything that is good and perfect, it is a gift from God. James is saying, you want good things? You want joy and happiness and satisfaction in life? Guess what? Those actually come from God not from our sin. Those come from God. But often we are deceived into believing the lies of temptation. And so our third truth this morning is that temptation is overcome by truth. Temptation is not overcome by lies. It's not overcome by doing harder and trying better. It's not overcome by religion. It's not overcome by sheer determination and strength or cleverness. Temptation is overcome by the truth. And the truth that James points us to is that God is not holding out on us. He is not withholding good things from us. He's not trying to block us from fun or from happiness or from joy in life. He's actually trying to lead us to that. God is not holding out on us. And can I tell you that every lie of the enemy you believe is somehow rooted in doubting the goodness of God. Every time that we give in to temptation, We are believing the enemy when he tells us that we can get what we want. We can get goodness and happiness and satisfaction in life from something other than a relationship with Jesus. But the Bible repeatedly tells us that good things, they come from God. They do not come from our sin. God is a God who wants us to flourish. But how that happens is often where we get it wrong. You see, he, he created us. He's the author of life. He, he knows what is best for us. And so our role is not to try and convince him of what is best for us that we already want, but to learn from him what is best for us. 
James tells us that every good and perfect gift, it comes down from God. Really what James is saying is that God sends down good gifts continually and consistently. He's a good God. He wants to give you good things and he doesn't fail or change. And so it's not like there's going to be some mess up in that delivery process of good things. He is a God who gives good things. The question is if we're going to trust in his goodness. The question is if we're actually going to believe him when he says that. We need to trust that if we need it, God is going to provide it. And when temptation says, hey, look at this thing that you could get, say, I know my God is good. I know my God is loving. I know my God has always provided for me. And so if I truly need that, God's going to give it to me. Or or maybe I just don't need it and I've convinced myself that I have. You don't have to step outside of God's boundaries to receive good things because God's blessings are never found outside of his boundaries. You're never going to find what you want outside of what God has said. It's like that GPS that's pointing us to where we need to go. God is saying every time he gives us a command or or something in scripture where he's telling us where to go, he's saying, no, 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 don't go that way. That way is going to drive you off a cliff and it's going to lead to death. This way to life, this way to blessing. He wants to bless us. He wants to give us good gifts. At Bridgewater, we believe that Life with Jesus is the best life ever. Everything that you truly want in life is actually found in a relationship with him. Jesus said it this way in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus wants you to have life. He wants you to have life to the full. He wants you to have life to the max. Not life just like surviving or, or making it through, but life to the full. That is the heart of our God, good and perfect gifts come from him. So temptations, the reality in our lives, we can't really avoid them. But we don't need to be defined by them. We don't need to be defined by them or by how we give in to them. We can lean into truth and we can stop temptation before it becomes sin. So here's some ways you can walk in the victory that God has for you. First would be to eliminate unnecessary temptation. Get rid of those things in your life that are just not helping you in the fight against sin. Maybe that means breaking off some relationships. Maybe it means deleting social media or cutting up some credit cards. I don't know what it might be for you, but start to ask yourself when and where and how are you most commonly tempted and and where can you just cut things out of your life that just aren't helping you, just not helping you pursue Jesus. And parents, we actually have a, a resource to help you with this in your kid's life. One of the areas that's a common temptation, I think, for all of us is the cell phone, right? From distraction to inappropriate things that are on there, um, it can be a temptation for many of us. And, and we found a resource that can help you and help your kids in that area. It's a, it's a cell phone agreement that you can take and you can um, have your children agree to it. There's a one side that's for you, for your kids, and it has them agree to things like not bullying online or texting or driving, which is probably a good one for you too, right? Um, and things like that, having, not having the phone in their, their room at night, that kind of stuff. You, maybe you could even edit it or add some things, and then you can have them sign it. But on the other side, you're not off the hook either. Um, it has an agreement for parents. Um, things like how I use my personal phone is a model for how my kids learn how to use their phone. Whether we like it or not, our kids do what we do, right? Um, It has a handful of things like that. But parents, if you have any uh, children that have a cell phone or really anything that can access the internet, I encourage you to pick up one of those. It's in our our kids' ministry uh, area, and it might be a help to you. 
Well, secondly, we can identify the off-ramps. Look for those opportunities to say no before it gets to sin. Look for that desire that can lead you astray and for the deceptions of the enemy and look for the ways that you can say no. And third, and kind of along the same lines, is to identify those lies. What are the lies of the enemy that you are believing? How is he deceiving you into thinking that God is holding out on you? Because once you've identified those lies, you can actually start uh, working to uh, supplant them and, and put the truth of what God says there. And can I tell you that for many of us, this is probably going to require some help from others. Sometimes we've been believing a lie for so long, it's become so foundational to how we think and how we act and how we operate that we need some other people in our lives who are going to help us uproot that lie and replace it with the truth. And so maybe this week in your small group or in some conversation, you can say, hey, can you help me identify? I think I might be believing a lie here. Can you help me, help me identify what that is and help me replace it with God's truth? Another thing you could do to, to help with those off-ramps and with the lies is to begin to memorize some scripture that speaks directly to where you are tempted. Not just passages that are, that are true, but ones that speak directly to how you are tempted. Because that's exactly what Jesus did when he was tempted, right? He was able to defend and, and uh, have the truth ready for what the devil was trying to, to tempt him with and trying to lie to him. He had the exact scripture right there. And we can do the same thing. We can start to memorize things that actually help us in that moment of temptation. And last, we need to run to Jesus for help. We need to run to the throne of grace. Regardless of how many times we've given into temptation or our past performance or whatever we might be tempted by, Jesus is there to help us in the middle of that. And we need to run to him. He has grace and he has mercy for us. And the good news is that we don't have to be defined by our response to temptation, but we can actually be defined by Jesus' response to temptation because he rose from the dead and he conquered sin and death. And that can uh, now be the same power that we have over sin. Here's how the author of Hebrews talks about it in chapter four. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same things we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, not only do we get help when we need it, when we're in that moment of temptation, but we actually receive the right standing before God that Jesus earned based on his performance. That can now be applied to us and we can be defined by that and not by our past and not by our mistakes and not by our yesterday. Where sin brings death, Jesus brings life. And if you belong to God today, you don't mean to be defined by that temptation. You can be defined by how Jesus responded to it. You can actually go boldly to the throne of grace, not because you've earned it, not because you deserve it, but because Jesus earned it and Jesus deserved it. And he has now given you that same ability. You can go boldly to the throne of grace and there you can find help when you need it most. And when do we need it most? It's in those moments of temptation, right? Maybe you're here today and, and you feel like you've just been knocked down again and again by temptation and sin feel like there's not really a way out for you. There's not really any hope for you. But I want to hear you, what I want you to hear me say this morning 
that there is hope to be found in Jesus. Not in trying harder, not in doing better, not in religion, not in checking off some good boxes and doing some good behavior. There's actually hope to be found in Jesus. He came to this earth and he suffered and died in your place for your sins so that you could have victory over that sin. You don't have to be defined by it anymore. You don't have to be defined by that guilt or by that shame. You don't have to walk around with that impossible weight of guilt and shame on your shoulders anymore. You can actually be defined as a child of God, as forgiven, as accepted into his family. Again, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has already done for you. So if you're here today and maybe you're struggling, maybe you've have never found that freedom that Jesus can offer you, we'd love to have a conversation with you. We'd love to help you find the freedom that Jesus offers. The invitation of Jesus is to come to the throne of grace and find mercy and find help in our time of need. The question is if we'll run to him. The question is if we're actually going to come to him and find that freedom and that forgiveness that he offers. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you are a good God. We thank you that you are a good God who gives good gifts. And Father, we thank you that you give us the, the process of the enemy where he tries to deceive us and he tries to lead us astray so that we can know ahead of time how we need to fight that battle. Father, I pray that we would be a people who don't look to the past, who don't look to who we used to be, who, who don't look to our past uh, failures or shortcomings, but realize that we can actually be defined as a child of God, not because of what we've done, but because of the grace and mercy of Jesus that has been placed upon us. Pray that we would be a people that run to you time and time again, that we wouldn't think that somehow we someday grow past that or get too big for that or too mature, but to realize that as we walk with you, we just need to run to you again and again, and every single time there is fresh grace and there is fresh mercy. Father, we thank you so much for the sacrifice of Jesus, and that because of that, there is a hope to be found. There is life and freedom and forgiveness that we can have. And it's all because of what Jesus has done for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.